Well, today we're going to continue our series in this Old Testament book of Haggai. It's been so great diving into this as a church family over these last few weeks. And we're in chapter 2 today and we'll be reading Haggai chapter 2, verse 10 to 19. This is what it says. On December the 18th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Ask the priests this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? The priest replied, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. Then Haggai responded, that is how it is with this people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. Look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for a 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you only uh, found 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refused to return to me, says the Lord. Think about this 18th day of December, the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not harvested, you have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. If someone was going to ask you, how would your best friend describe you in one word? What would they say? Is there a word that, that captures exactly who you are? Maybe they would say, oh, he's a funny person. But does that mean that you're funny all the time? I'm sure there are moments in your life where you're serious, whether it's through an exam or in a work meeting or even in a funeral. You know, I'm sure there are, there are moments in your life where you are serious. So you're not funny all the time. Or maybe uh, that person would say about you, you know, or oh, she's spontaneous. You know, she likes to live on the edge. She doesn't plan for everything. But, you know, I'm sure there are some areas in your life that you do plan for. You know, the truth is there's no one single word that describes you and me. And the same is true for God as well. The Bible tells us about God's incredible characteristics. And there are, there are so many characteristics of our God. You know, they, they, the Bible says that he is omnipotent, which means he's all powerful. The Bible says he's all omniscient, which is all knowing. The Bible says he's immutable, which means that God is unchanging. And those, although those things are true all the time about our God, you know, it's, it's amazing to think that there's probably not that, that one word that would actually describe who God is. You know, God is all of those things. But if we did have to pick one single characteristic to describe God that transcends all other characteristics, then it would probably be the word holy. That's how we would describe our God as being holy. You know, when the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he had this incredible revelation and this vision of God. He saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne. He had this incredible vision of God. And, and Isaiah says that he saw these angels circling around God's throne. They circle in, these seraphim circle in his throne day and night. And they were saying these words, Isaiah 6 verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. 
The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's interesting, isn't it? The, the angels, these seraphim, they aren't crying out love, 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 even though God is love. They aren't crying out justice, 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 even though he is a God of justice. They aren't crying out omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipotent. That was a mouthful, but they're not crying that out either. But the one characteristic that they use to describe God, these angels are crying out day and night around this throne and continually will do that, is holy, holy, holy. But what does holy actually mean? Have you ever wondered that? Maybe you've heard about it. You heard that word holy in churches. You've heard about God being described as holy. You've heard about holy men and women. But what does that actually mean to be holy? Well, holy, it actually comes from a Hebrew word, which means to, to cut or to separate. In other words, it means someone who is set apart, somebody who is set apart. And that is true of our God. Our God is holy. He's a cut above everyone and anyone else in heaven or on earth. God is set apart. He is without sin. He is without sin and he is different to any other false God that other people claim to believe or follow. You know, the pagans, they they use religious pictures to describe their gods and, and their gods are often gods who are participating in evil and wickedness. But that is not true of our God. Our God is without sin. He is holy. He is set apart. You know, Habakkuk says this in Habakkuk 1 verse 13, but you are pure and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Our God has zero tolerance when it comes to sin. He is set apart from evil and God shows how much he he hates sin when he sent his one and only son Jesus to take the sin upon himself and he poured out his wrath upon Jesus so that you and I could be forgiven for the punishment for our sins. The wages of sin is death as the Bible tells us. So God is holy and you know even here at our church I'm so glad and so thankful for the holy men and women who have gone before us. There used to be a, a mural on our wall on the front stage of our church and and it used to say holiness unto the Lord. You know, that's what God wants for you and me as well. God today is still looking for a holy people. It might seem like an outdated teaching this. It might seem like, is that actually relevant? And is it possible in our time? But God still wants his people to be a holy people, you and me. He wants us to be set apart from this world, not involved with sinful things. He wants us to be set apart for him. He wants us to be a holy people and he even wanted his people to be holy during Haggai's time as well. We've seen already that the people of God, they had come out of exile and they were back in God's, in the Holy Land in Jerusalem and they were given the task of rebuilding the temple of God and they faced opposition so that work came to a stand still for 15, for 15 years but God sends this prophet Haggai onto the scene to encourage the people to get back to work. Although they rejected this at first because they had their priorities wrong, they were living for themselves instead of living for God, they eventually repented of their sin because they realized that putting themselves first didn't work out for them. So they begin to obey God. They begin to begin to work on the temple and God pours out his spirit. God renews this passion and love for him once again in their hearts and they all work together and unite together to work on rebuilding the temple. But at the start of chapter two, we've seen that there are these momentum killers. They had this holy momentum behind them, but the enemy of our soul, Satan, he wants to hinder the work of God and he seeks to kill and destroy the people of God. That's what he wants to do. And here he introduces two 
weapons, to momentum killers, to stop the work of God and to discourage the people of God. And we've seen them last time. They are distraction and discouragement. But God will give us these weapons to overcome those. And, and God gave his people a promise. He said, get back to work. Get back on finishing the temple. Don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. And God gave them this promise in Haggai 2, verse 9 in the message translation of the Bible. He says, this temple is going to end up far better than it started out. A glorious beginning, but an even more glorious finish. A place in which I will hand out wholeness and holiness. Decree of God of the angel armies. What an incredible promise. And that's the promise of God to our church as well, which was given many, many years ago. The latter days will be greater than the former days. And I believe that for us collectively, corporately as a church, but also for every individual. God's got the best for you. The best days are yet to come within your life. It's an incredible promise that God gives us to his, to his people. The latter days of this temple, it's going to be even greater. God's going to fill that temple with his glory and with his peace. It's going to be even more incredible. However, the Bible reminds us here and God reminds his people here that this promise is conditional. We'll see in a moment that the Lord says to his people that this change won't come unless the people change as well. You know, God reminds his people here in this moment that the prophecies aren't magic. I think we need to be reminded of that. Just because God says that it'll happen doesn't mean that we can just sit back and wait for him to do it. But God wants us to participate in what he's calling us to do. Prophecies aren't magic. Prophecies are an indication of, uh, of what God wants to do, what's in his heart. And they require us to respond to those messages. And there's an interesting little section here, halfway through Haggai chapter 2, where Haggai begins to tell the people that just because they're now back in the Holy Land, it doesn't make them a holy people. These people thought they were a holy people because they belonged to God and because they were in the Holy Land. But actually, we see here that Haggai he begins to give these, these illustrations about how that isn't just how it works. Just because they're in the Holy Land doesn't make them a holy people. It's an interesting thought. And here in verse 10 to 18, which we've already read, you know, he uses this, this little analogy Haggai does of how uncleanness is transmitted much more than holiness. That you can transfer evil and wickedness and sin that it affects us, but holiness, it doesn't quite work that way. It's like that old saying that one bad apple spoils the bunch, but you know, one good apple doesn't turn the bad apples good. And Hugh Haggai, he uses some examples talking about priestly examples and examples of the law and how ritual and holiness can be passed on. Haggai 2 verse 12 to 13 says, If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes and his robe happens to brush up against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? The priest replied, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will that food be defiled? And the priests said yes. You know, he's using some of these laws from Leviticus, which God gave to Moses and Moses gave to the people about coming and approaching God and being a holy people. And out of this, Haggai says to his people, look, just because we're in Jerusalem in the Holy Land doesn't make us a holy people. You know, that thought is still believed by many people in our society today and even in churches today. People think that just because we go to church that we're the holy people. Just because we, we own a Bible or even might read a Bible or even might say a prayer every now and again that we are a holy people. But that's not the, the case. 
you know, our former senior pastor, Pastor Rob, he used to say, just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Same as going to a church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus and doesn't make you holy. It doesn't make us that way. So how were the people of God going to respond in, in Haggai's time? How were, how were they to become a holy people? And how can you and I become a holy people today? If God is still looking for a holy people who are different to this world, who are set apart from this world, how, are you, how can you and I become a holy people? Well, Haggai reminds us here that it's about changing our lives. It's about changing our lives instead of living for self to living for Jesus. And it's through a relationship with him. It begins with having a relationship with him by putting our faith and trust in Jesus, his death and his resurrection and turning from our sins and becoming followers of him. It's through living for him. And today I just want to share three encouragements about why we should become holy and how we can become holy because of this relationship with Jesus. And I want to encourage you today. It is all through Jesus that we become a holy people. It's through Jesus' death on the cross, his blood which was cleansed, which was poured out for us, which cleanses us of all sins, that makes us have this that makes the way possible for us to have this relationship with God and approach God and know God and, and be like our God. You know, God wants us to be holy just as He is holy. And so I want to encourage you today. Make this your goal. That's the first point. Make holiness your goal. You know, God didn't just send Jesus so that you and I could be with him in heaven one day and that's it. And we can live any way that we want right here and right now. But God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us so that we can know him, have the gift of eternal life, but that we could also become like Jesus. That's God's goal for you and me, is that we would become as followers of Jesus, become more and more like Jesus. That's the That was the goal of rabbis and their students. And Jesus is the great teacher. He is the rabbi and his disciples, that's what we are, to become more and more like Jesus. You know, 1 Peter 1 verse 13 to 16 says this, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into the old ways of satisfying your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. If we truly love God, if we love Jesus and are followers of Jesus, then we will commit to making holiness our primary goal in life. Let's ask God, God, help me to become holy. Help me not to slip into my old sinful ways again, but help me to be a follower of you and, and live for you. The second encouragement for us to become a holy people is to commit to obedience you know holiness is a result of obedience to God's law what God has said in his word is is being hearers of his word and doers of his word it's walking according to the spirit and not according to the flesh as Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and you know life is like walking on a path I love going for a walk with my dog Charlie every day I love walking up the country park Aberdeen park you name it I love going for walks and you know, life is a lot like walking on a path. You're either on the path to heaven, following Jesus and going to an eternity with him, or you're on the path to destruction, that way to hell. You know, Jesus talks about it's the narrow road and the wide road and narrow is the way to heaven. It's following Jesus and living for him. And, you know, although even as followers of Jesus, we might sin and fall short sometimes and stumble, there is a difference to be being on the right path and falling and getting up again and being on the wrong path and falling and you know the bible says that 
holiness is a result of our obedience to following God and listening to God and doing what God is calling us to do. And as we're obedient to Jesus, not because we have to, but because we love him. If you obey me, love my command, uh, you, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, as Jesus said. Then as long as we're obedient of following him and putting into practice, not of the religious duty, but because of our love for him, then we'll become more like Jesus. And I think the third thing that we need to realize when, and the final thing that we need to realize when it comes to holiness and becoming a holy people, it starts with a relationship with God, starts with making that our goal in life and obeying what God is calling us to do. But also holiness is a cooperative effort between the Holy Spirit and us. And us. That's his primary function, the Holy Spirit. He is a person, the third person of the Godhead, co-equal of the Father and the Son. And his person in our, his work in our lives is not just to empower us, to live this Christian life, but it's to change us to become more and more like Jesus. Holy is part of his name, Holy Spirit. He wants to make us holy. And you know, it's not about us doing whatever we can to try and make ourselves holy and to try and get ourselves right with God and saved because we're only saved through grace. But you know, holiness, it doesn't bring about salvation, but salvation and the work of the Spirit in our lives brings about holy living. And you know, we call this, this work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we call it sanctification. It's an old-fashioned word, but it's where God is changing us moment by moment, day and day, to become more like Jesus. From glory to glory, you know, we're not, we're not the finished article yet. We are the clay. God is the potter and God is continually shaping us and he'll continually shape us until we meet him face to face. And the Holy Spirit does that in our lives but it's a work it's not just God doing it in our lives it's about us opening our lives and asking God to fill us with his spirit and work within our lives it's this partnership listen to what Romans 8 verse 13 says for if you live by its dictates you will die but if through the power of the spirit you put to death you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature you will live who's supposed to put to death the sin in our body obviously Jesus paid for our sin once and for all but Who's to put an end to it? It's you and me empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's a partnership. It's not us sitting back and letting God do it all. God wants to work with us as we follow him and us to obey him. And this work of sanctification is the Holy Spirit working in us, peeling away our sinful characteristics and replacing them with the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, these godly characteristics. And they let us and they shape us to become more and more like Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives as we spend time with God, reading his word, and the Holy Spirit speaks through his word. God will change us, and as we put it into practice and pray, God will change us. And Paul says in Romans 8 verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. May we be a people who are working with the Spirit, and I want to encourage you, open up your heart, ask God to fill you with the Spirit. You know, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a church, so ask God to fill you with his spirit and allow the God, the Holy Spirit to work in your life and change you to become more and more like Jesus. And, you know, as we come to a conclusion today, Haggai wanted to encourage the people back then that it wasn't just about building the temple. God wasn't just interested in, in rebuilding the temple so they could worship him. But God wanted them to be the temple. You and I are the temple of the spirit today where God lives, God dwells. God doesn't dwell in, in buildings. He dwells in the people of God, in the hearts of believers and God says here through Haggai to the people it's not just about the the building it's about your lives it's about you who you are as the people of God and it's the same for us as the church today it's not about us just coming along to church performing good deeds that that make us holy it's not about a bit observing relig religious rituals it's not about that 
but it's about putting our lives right with God, but asking Jesus as our Lord and Savior and making sure that we are following him, obeying him and living in a way that would bring glory to him and asking the Holy Spirit to change us day by day. That's how we become a holy people. You know, many people, they, they don't want to become holy. They don't strive for holiness because they think that it's an impossible standard. But you know, God's not leading us to this unattainable level of perfection. It's not about that, you know, our lack of perfection should actually lead us to God. It's not about being perfect. None of us will be perfect until we see Jesus face to face. But, but the reason that we're not perfect, the reason there is still sin and things within our lives, even as followers of Jesus from time to time, the reason that is, is, is to encourage us to, to keep going to Jesus, to ask God to keep changing us and molding us to become more and more like him. Holiness should be our goal and that's what we should strive for. So today, I believe God wants to encourage us and encourage you and me, like that old mirror on the wall in our church, holiness unto the Lord. May that be our cry today. That's, that's one of our values of a church, as our church is to become a holy people. Let's make holiness our goal. Let's ask God to set us apart from this world. Yes, we live in the world. We want to reach this world, but we don't want to behave and act like this world. We want to live for Jesus and live in a way that pleases him and live in a way that will point other people to him as well. Let our light shine for him to lead other people to Jesus. So let's make that our goal today. Let's make holiness our goal. Let's be holy unto the Lord. Amen.